0: Church this past week, I was able to take a quick, short vacation, which was kind of nice. And I kind of laugh at that, thinking anywhere you go in Washington seems like a vacation to me, except maybe downtown Seattle. That wouldn't be a vacation for me. But we went out to Leavenworth, and my in laws were in town, as you know, and we thought, let's take them to a place we haven't been and I'm sure they would enjoy. They have lived in Europe a few times, and they've That whole area is, is from what I saw online and from what people said, they would enjoy that, and surely they did. They truly did enjoy the town and stuff. I enjoyed the town for about 10 minutes or so, and then I went up Icicle Canyon in the different areas and played and explored and fished, and it was great. But in that, as we were planning for this trip, I realized my mother-in-law was with me. Now some of you might laugh and go, oh, here's the phrase mother-in-law, and some of you that have mother-in-laws already go, oh boy, this could get interesting. But I thought, you know what? My mother-in-law is a great woman, and many times when we go places, it's my father-in-law that gets all the attention for obvious reasons. He's the doctor and he gets to teach and do all these great things. And there's my mother-in-law sitting with the kids and playing, and she enjoys that. But, you know, she kind of gets kind of not put off to the side, but she doesn't really get much because everyone, oh, Grant's here. Great. Oh, and who are you? Kind of a thing. So I thought, you know, I thought it would be good to kind of pamper, take care of my mother-in-law, do something fun for her. Not because I need to. I'm just stressing that, you know, not because I have to. I've already got my wife, so I've won, okay. She can't get her back. I thought, you know, it would be good to really Give her something, treat her nice, and do something that she give something because she enjoys the outdoors. She loves birds, whales, she loves all this stuff. So I thought we'll take an extra day, even though this will bite into just my busiest schedule, we'll take an extra day. And we drove from Leavenworth on Highway Two, which Tim said, don't drive because you'll probably drive off the road looking at everything. And I almost did drive off the road because it's so beautiful. We drove and we went to the San Juan Islands. And I thought, let's pamper her. Why do I know that's a nice place? Because 14 years ago, I was there on my honeymoon enjoying the San Juan. We went to Friday Harbor. And my mother-in-law the whole time was like this with binoculars, looking for birds, looking for whales, looking at all this. stuff. She enjoyed it. It's just a little way I thought, you know what? I want to have this for her. And she loved it. I wanted to give a lot to her because she's a part of my life. Here's a phrase that I hope you ponder Why do we give so little for the one who gave us so much? Why does it seem that we, as Christians, give so little? To the Savior who saved us. Today we're going to talk about discipleship, the life of a disciple. And sometimes it seems that we disciples have been given so much. Read again Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14. We have so much in Christ. We've been given so many blessings He's given us so much, but we give so little. Now, I know there's some stories of mother-in-laws where people give very little because their mother-in-law has that phrase and that kind of ring where you're like, ooh, and there's a reason they give so little. But when it comes to Jesus, our Savior, why is it when it comes to discipleship, we give so little? God's grace is great. And we treat discipleship as though it's something, uh, it's on the side. So today we're going to look at the words of Christ again. And we'll look at a few, we're just going to look at one primary, one word, and just see what does it mean, what does it look like to be a committed disciple of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for today. We thank you for the privilege of life. And Lord, we ask today that you, through your Holy Spirit, move once again in our hearts as we read these words. Lord, each day we long to see you more, know you more, grow in you, and today do that in our hearts. And Lord, each of us have a different way of understanding what it means to be a Christian to be christ-like but i pray lord jesus that as we look at your words we see what you mean and may we reorientate if we need to realign our hearts in your precious name jesus amen amen if you turn to the book of john again these great chapters i had the kids do this last week john 13 14 15 16 and 17 As a little boy, I said that this was my favorite part of the Bible because it was all read. All the letters were read. I thought it was the most holy part of the Bible. It must be. And I truly believe if you are trying to make decisions, wondering about the future, seeking God's unrevealed will, do not spend 90% of your energy seeking God's unrevealed will. Instead, take ninety percent of your energy seeking God's revealed will right here. And I believe then many things will fall into place and you'll see and you'll not worry about the unrevealed will. John chapter 15. What does it look like to be a disciple? I remember when I was in college, we went on a like a missions trip down to Texas. We went to Laredo, Texas. We were going to help build a church, do something. And we were on our way down there. We stopped at, I can't even think of the name. It was, it was kind of like a Sizzler or a Shoney's or a, kind of just a, a buffet steak place. I'm not sure what they have around. In the Midwest, we have Ponderosa Steak Place. And we, we pull up to this place, and they had all this steak. I'm like, this is all you can eat steak. And I sat down with a bunch of my college friends, got this big steak, and I cut up the whole steak and started. And as I was cutting up, the girl next to me was like, her eyes got big, and I was like, Have you not seen someone eat this much steak? I'm not sure what it was. But she had this puzzled look on her face. And I cut the whole steak up, and I got A1 steak sauce and drowned in the steak. And it was like, Yeah. Some steaks you don't have to do this, but I figured this, this one you had to. And as I took my first bite, she said, I'm worried about you. It's like, Why? I was thinking, maybe she's a vegetarian. I wasn't trying to offend her or anything. And you haven't seen me eat yet, girl, I was thinking. But she said, I just saw on TV that one of the main traits, one of the characteristics, one of the main things that serial killers do (laughs) is when they get a steak, they cut it all up completely, then they eat it. They don't cut it piece at a time. And she was like, are you a serial killer? I was like, what? What, are you crazy? I said, well, maybe if you saw me hunting, you would think that, killing all the deer or something, but No. She thought, this is one of the traits, the qualities of a serial killer. You're cutting up, a- what is, no. My wife was reading a book by one of her favorite authors, Francine Rivers. Some of you ladies know, maybe know who that is. And she was reading in there and she said, oh, there's, there's a line in here that reminded me of you. It was something about a warrior. It's true, it was about a warrior. And this warrior never needed someone to wake him up or something like it because he could always wake up whenever he chose to in the morning. And my wife was like, "That's just like you. You don't need an alarm clock. You can just say I'm waking up at 7:52." And I literally, it's weird. I have this alarm clock in my brain where I won't need an alarm clock and I'll wake up. I remember back in Wisconsin I had to speak at a church and I traveled 3 hours to go there. I had to wake up at Four in the morning. But the problem was it was New Year's Day, and then that night I was out all night till two. So I only got two. So two hours of sleep I was gonna get. So I thought I better set my alarm clock just in case I sleep in. I remember at 3.59 I woke up, because I don't need an alarm clock, because I'm a warrior, the book said. (laughs) And I won't say this, but yes, it's a fictional book. Dang, you know. But I woke up at 3.59 because I have that quality of a warrior. And I watched my alarm clock turn to four, and the alarm didn't go off. I'm like, hmm, why didn't it go off? I set it for 4 p.m. You ever do that? You're like, oh man, good thing I am a warrior. <laughs> but do, does Pastor Cody really have the qualities of a serial killer? I pray not. But yet, I could take some time, and we could theologically look at total depravity with all the Holy Spirit. Never mind, we'll get to that. Do I have the qualities of a warrior? Yes, I do. I can wake up at any time. What are the qualities, the characteristics? of a Christian. You know, religion has its way of stamping and pressing and making us look and saying, this is what a Christian looks like. It would be very interesting for you to think about that and come with me overseas. We think a Christian is all about this, looks like this, talks like this, acts like this, performs like this, smells like this. And when you go overseas, maybe to a third world country like Bolivia, that may change your mind of what a Christian looks like. Because many of us look on the outside, and we never look at the inner qualities. Or if you would come with me to China, the underground pastors, and then you'd see, what are the qualities of a Christian? Well, gratefully, we can step away from religious institutions, and we look at the words of Christ, and see what he says. So let me read this passage here. John chapter 15. Starting with verse 4. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine Showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's command and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Here it is. Love each other as I have loved you. Now, the main word in this passage is this word remain. Or if some of you have a different translation, abide, dwell. We must remain in Him. This is a command, but it's also the tense is ongoing. We each day, when we awake, we make a decision to remain, stay with, abide, dwell in Him. As I said last week, when I pray for you, pray for you as a church, and I pray for you individually, I often go to Ephesians chapter 3, 14 and following. Where Paul says, I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts, remain in your heart. Th- this may surprise you, but my prayer isn't that, oh, may, may you come to Christ and that's it. It's not about you just coming to Christ. My prayer is that Christ may dwell in you. If you're a Christian, I don't just stop praying for you. Okay, you're a Christian, great. And we'll get to this later on here. Most people think, oh, I'm just a Christian and it's fine, I'm done. Check, it's over. No, I pray that Christ would dwell in you. You would remain and dwell and have this intimate relationship with Him. Remain. We are to grow in this relationship every moment. Then the next word we looked at, first one is remain or abide. The second one, obey. Obey. Obedience is so important. We obey His Word. And it's interesting here that it's when he says, obey my words. It's not, when I looked, when I was translating this, I looked, it wasn't the word logos, like the word. It's obey my words, my declarations, what I uttered, what I said. Obey what I say. Now, I have four children. And obedience is very important. Especially when we're near a street and it's busy. My little one loves to just run all around, and we're trying to instill in her, Obey my word. I have a certain way to say, Stop, obey, listen, and they most of the time listen, but like kids, they don't. And then I say this Obey quickly. Because you know how it is as kids are. They hear you, and they're like, Okay, I'll get there soon as I meander this way. But delayed obedience is not obedience. Right? Obey quickly. So I have to now say, obey quickly. Not just obey me, but obey quickly. Obey. Yes, sir. They come. Yes, dad. Okay, we're coming. But the problem is they don't always obey. Sometimes it takes the tone of my voice. I have one daughter who is, for some reason, deathly afraid of dogs. No matter what size they are, they could be a small, cute little pug, which some people call them cute, and that's that's fine. (laughs) It could be a large dog. She is deathly afraid of dogs, except maybe Romeo, a dog that some of you know. Whenever there's a dog in the area, I will say her name in a certain tone, and she will light up, and she will get right to my side and stand next to me, because she knows that in that tone, she will obey me, because there is a dog near. We are to be so quick to obey Christ's words. We are to obey. It's more than just words. I I thought about last week just having a whole sermon called More Than Words. Sometimes we just think, okay, I'll just obey this, obey this. It's the heart of the matters. We saw what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount. It's just more than just words. These words are to abide in you. They're to be like that coffee you drink every day, some of you. And it stains in you. It stays with you. When we read his word, they should just tattoo our souls, be ingrained in us. So here's my challenge for you this week. I've asked you to read John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. So great they are. Now this week, as you read, begin to write down his commands. Let your pen, just start writing, okay, here's a command of Jesus. Here it is, but don't write them. Let them soak in you and abide in you. And my prayer is that you have an intimate understanding and knowledge of what he commands and what he says. His words become our way of life. And it shows. We don't do this as a performance. We don't do this to get something from him. It should shine out and be a part of your life. And people will know. A couple weeks ago, a few of us went up to Mount Adams to climb it. On the way there, we stopped at Randall. And we geared up, got some snacky foods, and we needed some some protein and stuff to kind of get her bodies ready for this. And as we went to the vehicle, we stepped outside of this little store, and this lady, I could see something in her face like she was kind of exasperated. She was, she was looking for someone, something, some help. So I kind of turned her way, and she said, could you help me? I said, well, yeah, how can I help you? She said, we just need our car jumped it's died, and, we just, and I was like, well, I think we have some jumper cables. Let me go check. So we pulled up the vehicle, and I had some jumper cables, and we, we jumped the car, and as this was happening, I see the gentleman that had the car. He was digging in his wallet. And I thought, oh, he probably wants to pay me for this. I was like, good, because I need money, right? <laughs> and... As we got done, I said, oh, there you go. I'm glad you could help. He goes, here, here, take this, take this. I said, no, I, I can't take that. He said, oh, no, you have to. Now, if I didn't have this dwelling in me, if I didn't have this saturating my mind, if I didn't know the commands of Jesus, if I didn't see the beauty of how he lived this out to people, it would be very easy for me to say, yeah. I performed for you, I did something, please give me the money. I'd like a little bit more, because I need... And I said, you know what? I said, not just because I'm a pastor, but because I love Jesus, I can't take that money. This is a way that I can show love and care for you. But I went beyond that. I said, listen, we, us three guys, we're going to go climb this mountain. We're going to have plenty of time on our own. What are your names? Can we pray for you? Is there anything we can pray and that guy said, I don't believe in prayer. And I said, Interesting. I bet you you were probably under your breath praying that someone would help you right now And I show up. But, anyways, <laughs> I didn't say that out loud. And the lady says, Well, I believe in prayer. And I said, In my mind, I'll get to you in a moment. Let me stick with this gentleman here. And we talked a little bit. When his words are in us, We don't obey just to be robots. We do it, and we see that love, and we'll get to this later, love is so essential that we care, and it oozes out of us. And the words of Christ affect and change our actions. So if I would follow you Tuesday, all day, if I was invisible, would I see that this changes your actions when your boss gets mad at you? When at work your coworker is short-fused and they blow up, does that set you off? Or when something doesn't go right, when your daughter or son or grandchildren don't call you again, does that set you off? When his words are in us, amazing things happen. Here's what R.C. Sproul says. I love this. Our redemption is from the curse of God's law, not from our duty to obey it. Listen, we don't do this just to obey it and then we're redeemed. No, that's not the case. We are justified not because of our obedience to the law, but we are justified in order that we might obey his law. And that's why this week I want you in these five chapters start writing down what are the commands of Christ that I might obey those not so I could be justified because out of love we obey and to love God is to obey his word amen obey so remain obey now the next word is this it's two words Listen to this. Look at verse 4. We'll look at verse 4 and verse 8. Remain in me, and I'll remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Look at verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. What is a disciple? disciple is one who remains, who obeys, and here it is, bears fruit. Jesus says a disciple is one who bears fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I find this interesting. I was studying this this week. You can take a grapevine and you can cut it the branch off, cut one of the branches off from the main vine, and it will still grow for a short time. The green will still grow, the sun, photosynthesis, I started getting to it, I was like, that's too nerdy for me, let me step away from that. But it will grow! It will grow, even if you cut it off. Green will grow a bit, but listen to this, if you cut it off, it can never bear fruit. It may grow some green, but the fruit will never grow. One thing we cannot do is bear fruit ourselves. We are dependent on being connected to have fruit. So if you remain, one of the main things is you will bear fruit. You will bear fruit. What is the aspects of bearing fruit? One, we will be like Christ. We're called Christians, right? We are Christians. That means Christ-like. We will be like Christ. In our attitude, in our actions, in our mindsets, in our words, we will be like Christ. So what type of fruit do you have? Is it Christ-like? Do you walk like him? Do you look like him? Turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5 22 and 23. When I was a little boy in Sunday school, I memorized this and got a piece of candy, and it was so good. Now, as an adult, I need to have this in me more than just words, but in my heart. Because this is the fruit of the Spirit. Notice it's not fruits, plural, it's singular. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit, and I'm going to say this from the King James as I memorize a little boy, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith. Against such there is no law. Look at some of these things. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Do you have true love? I firmly believe this. You may not agree with me, but I believe this. Only Christians know true love. We are the only ones who have access to God who is love. 1 John chapter 4. He is true love. This world has no idea what true love is. We know true love. So this is this is profound. If we know what true love is, and the world does not know what true love is, what they have is, is a pseudo-love, a fake love. They can have a love to a certain degree, but we know true love. When true love within us is born out as fruit, the world will see that and be amazed. They will be stunned. They should turn and say, wow, that's different. When I do the jumper cables and I say, no, I don't need money and just get away, no. But when I get to sit and talk, they saw this gentleman who said, I don't believe in prayer. I was able, as short as we had, to talk with him and say, really? And I was able to show love. It should be life-changing. Now, some of you know I like hot sauce. I like stuff spicy. This past week, we were in Leavenworth. And I remember Duel saying, when you get there, there's a place that you can try different hot sauces. And I found that place, and it's in this can. Do not let little kids touch this, blah, 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 blah. I'll try it. Dip that pretzel in there. Wow, it was great! Now, my wife would say disgusting because it takes away the flavor, but to me, my mouth was on fire for like five minutes. It changed my mouth. My mouth was like, "Wow, that was good. It was everything changed the way wow. God's love is so profound, so life-changing that when you taste of it, it should be the natural fruit that comes out of you. When you meet family members who drive you nuts, love, but the fruit of the spirit is love. Joy, We'll get to that because that's also in John 15. Love, joy, peace, patience. Look at these words. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And, listen, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with his passions and desires. We live by the Spirit now. So here's another challenge I have for you. Galatians 5, and 23. Is that a description of you? It should be. Because we are to bear fruit. Bear fruit. This shows that you're my disciples. So look at that list, write them down, and I challenge you, put them on your mirror in your bathroom, because most of you, I don't, but most of you look in the mirror in the morning when you wake up. Write the list of the fruits, look at those, maybe you have them memorized like I did as a kid, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, me, does that describe you? Then at the end of the day say, did I portray this? Was I patient in this? Was I long-suffering? Holding back, I could say something, but I will take my time. Fruit. So what is fruit? One is be like Christ. Another aspect, as we see in Galatians 5.22-23, it's these are the fruits of, fruit of the Spirit. The next one, I believe, another fruit is prayer. Prayer. When we abide in Christ and His words abide in us, Then we pray according to His will. For instance, let's go back to John 15. I think a lot of people get confused by this passage here. Turn to John 15. John 15 verse 7. If you remain in me, And my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. Most people like that last part. Ask whatever you wish. You should see my wish list. Wouldn't it be great if we could just say, Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I name it and claim it, and it's mine. Go shopping like that, huh? I'd have to just name and claim and get a truck just to carry all my goodies. Is that what this verse is all about? Whatever you want, it's yours. People like the last part, but they don't realize you have to have the first part. Look at verse 7. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, when we know his will, all of our energy is in God's revealed will right here, I believe then you just naturally ask his will. You wouldn't ask anything outside of his will. You would know what... His words are, and you would pray according to His words. So I believe when we pray, that is also bearing fruit. It's not just requests, but prayer should pertain to bearing fruit and giving glory. So let me ask you this. When's the last time you prayed that in this situation, God would be glorified, even if you have to suffer? That's a tough one. Or, Lord, I pray that in this situation, as bad as it is, as confusing as for me, I pray that fruit would happen, that you would gain glory. That's what we should be praying. Most of you know I still have a house in Wisconsin, still for sale. Very draining, not mainly on me, but my wife. She does the finances in the house. Lord, please, I could give my list, sell it today. May we have extra money so we can play and have a pizza party? No, Lord, whatever your will is, I pray that in this house situation you would be glorified and we would bear fruit. Patience, joy, long-suffering, 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 love, faith, peace, bearing fruit. Now let me take a moment here now and talk about our church. What does this look like to remain, to obey and bear fruit. What does that look like for a disciple? What does that look like? What I want to do is I want to give you an an analogy, an illustration here. So take a look at this screen here, and this is kind of how I think would be great to picture what this looks like in our church. Most people in churches, I shouldn't say most, but there are many churches today that are all about this. Take a look at me, don't look at the screen a second, okay? Most people think that Christianity is all about becoming a Christian, and that's it. Let's become a Christian. Let's get a country club. Let's get this great place, and we'll just pat each other on our backs. And it becomes a museum for the saints instead of a hospital for sinners. I don't think that's the case. In fact, there are some churches... Even in Kitsap, they're all about just getting converts and converts, and that's good enough. Remember what Jesus said Matthew 28. Go and make disciples. Jesus didn't call us to make converts. He called us to make disciples. Right? So here is how we as a church want to do this. Yesterday I went to a baseball game. We got to see the Mariners play the Brewers. I have a little smile there. As a boy who was born in Milwaukee, I want to see the Brewers play. It was great. It was interesting. Six innings into the game, there was only eight hits. That's a long game for little kids. We had a bunch of little kids around us. It's a long game. No runs. It is long. People get the first base, out, 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 and then the, the little kids are like, "What? Well, how come? They, they hit. They should have points. Here's the problem. Some churches are all about stacking up hundreds of people on first base, become a Christian, but that's not a point in the game. Jesus didn't call us to make converts, he calls to make disciples. So take a look at this chart here we got. The first base would be membership into God's family. When you become a Christian, you are now a part of his game, you're on the journey that he has planned for you, you are now a member of his family. That's the first base. Again, so many churches think that's all you should do. That's not the way it should be. Evangelism is only a base hit in this analogy. You cannot with a game like that, win the game with men on only first base. Discipleship is getting people around the whole thing. So take a look. It's membership. Here we become a member of God's family. And that's where many of you are at. Look at the second base. You can laugh with me about all these M's here. The next one is maturity. We as a church want to grow deep. Often I'll meet different people, different pastors, people ask, hey, how's the church growing? And I'll say, we're growing deep. My goal is to grow deep. Again, I don't want to just be stuck in the mindset, let's just grow this church with tons of people, have tons of people, we could have hundreds of people here. But if we're not deep, we're missing out. The second base is growing deep. And my job as a pastor, your your under-shepherd, as your shepherd, is to feed the sheep, right? My job is to feed you, to grow deep. The second base is maturity, discipleship. You're growing to be more like him. The third base would be ministry. and This is where our church is at now. What are the gifts that we have in here that we can find your area to serve and to grow and care for each other. Second base, you develop your relationship with Christ, you grow in him, you anchor yourself, but now you're beginning to see where God has gifted you, called you, and we care for one another, and we serve one another. Take a look back at Acts chapter 4. where the passages we prayed for Placido. Acts chapter 4. After this great prayer, there's, there's uh, like the first persecution within the church here. They pray, Sovereign Lord, you are in control. These men, men have conspired, but still you are in control. I love that. Very important to know. Look at verse 32. This would be second and third base in this little illustration here. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of the, his possessions were his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of our Lord, Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who own lands and houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed among anyone who had in need. Christianity is not me, me, me. Christianity is He, He, He. God number one, God number two, He's number three, number four, and we care for our family. And those in the church. Then, take a look at this base again. we got membership into God's family. Then you begin to grow deep. And then you begin to learn what your gifts are. Or, as if you look on our website, the three phrases we have, kind of describing our church. Crossway Church is about knowing, growing, and showing. That's what we want to do as a church. And then, the last one is make disciples. We are called to make disciples. Because so many churches, think about it, maybe you know some, they're all about getting hundreds of people on first base, but not a single point in the game. Jesus said, go, make disciples, teaching them everything I have commanded. Make disciples. And soon I pray that in our church, as we grow deeper in this school year as we grow and learn to how to care for one another and use our gifts then we will begin to get to this point where you will be the ones who are the ministers many people think in this church that there's two ministers pastor John and pastor Cody no we are not the only ministers you are ministers. In fact, our job, Ephesians chapter 4, it says this. The, the job of the apostles and the pastors and the evangelists, you know what their job is? Their job isn't to be the ones going out saving the world and preaching and teaching and doing all this stuff. Listen, their job is to equip you, the church, to be the ministers. So this school year, we're going to learn to move from a second base to third base and then go out and make disciples. Imagine if this was true. If we would be a church that would move beyond first base, bear fruit, grow deep, learn to pray, learn to follow his will, his word, obey him and bear fruit. Imagine what would happen in the world in Kitsap County. You know what would happen? Glory we would magnify him. Take a look at the middle there. It's all about bringing glory and magnifying Christ. That's what this is about. Knowing him, growing in him, and showing it to the world because they are in desperate need. And that doesn't mean you have to have your life all in shape, you can be in prison. And still do ministry, right? We're already hearing about Placido in prison. You can be wherever you are and God will use you if you remain in Him. Obey His words. Abide. Soak it up. And bear fruit, showing that you are His disciples. And that's, I believe, the proper way to be a church, to be a fellowship, and grow in Him. So let's finish by reading this again. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Here it is, verse 8. Get this in you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's command and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. So church, what do you give? What do you live? What do you bring to the God who gave so much? Don't be under the phrase where you're the one who gives such little to the one who gave so greatly to us. The beauty of God is this. He calls his children to be his own. And out of our love for him, we obey. We're quick to obey. And that shows that we're his disciples. And we love and we care for one another. Let's pray.